Listener Production. This podcast is being recorded on Gadigal land. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past, present. We extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. everyone, we have um, another episode with one of my favourite TikTok creators and that is Sabelle, sabelle.pov on TikTok. Basically, she came across my For You page because she analyses different scenes from TV shows. The ones that I watch the most are Sex in the City. She's a relationship coach and she kind of goes through these scenes and speaks about how different attachment styles or people in relationships are showing up in those scenes and analyses them. I think in the past I've parroted your advice or your observations to my friends as though it's my own. So I'm really sorry about that one. But <laughs> please welcome Sabelle. Hi. Oh my God. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for coming back. So we um, last week went through all the different types of F-boys. If you want to hear that, go back and listen. But today we're just going to talk about attachment styles because you speak about them so well and I think they're so interesting and it's something that – I think I presume everyone knows about or understands to a certain level, but recently I've had a few people even go, what's an attachment style? And I go, oh, fuck. So I want somewhere to guide them. I can just send them the link to this episode and I can go listen to that before you speak to me. So let's begin with just basics. What are attachment styles? What are the, what are the main attachment styles? And I guess a brief summary of each of them. Attachment styles is a relatively new concept still, even though it was studied in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I think it's really starting to be a lot more mainstream right now. So when we talk about attachment styles, we're talking essentially about secure versus insecure styles of attaching yourself to people. Mm -hmm. So the insecure styles are fearful avoidant, anxious, and dismissive avoidant. And the secure style, which is, there's one, it's just secure attachment. Wow, must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. Now, Sabelle, which one are you? Are you secure being a relationship coach? So I actually used to have an anxious attachment and I've worked on it really, really hard for the last six years. Mm-hmm. I've earned a secure attachment, but I still reference or I still talk about myself as having at the basis, as my foundation, an anxious attachment, having earned a secure attachment doesn't necessarily mean I'm secure. I'm never going to look like someone who had all their needs met in childhood and just became more of a secure adult because of it, right? So I like to call my style like secure with some spice, right? I'm still going to be anxious at moments. Yeah, I'm still going to be anxious. I'm. St- it's still going to come up for me. But I manage it a lot better. So it comes up less often and it's less intense of a feeling. Okay. So my understanding is our attachment styles come from, like you said, our childhood experiences and our childhood needs not being met or being met. Can you explain that a bit more about how we get to each attachment style? Yeah. So there were studies that were done by uh, psychoanalysts back in the 70s and 80s, and they're essentially looking at children and seeing how they respond to when they're parents are in the room versus when they leave the room. Are they playing with toys? Are they preoccupied? Are they looking for them? Do they run to them when they show up? And so based on those observations, they were able to see that babies themselves have a temperament, but their environment can pull certain levers, right? So their environment can actually increase their anxiety 
decrease their anxiety, make them more avoidant, make them more secure, right? So it's not just about how you were treated as a child, but also the kind of temperament that you had, right? Nurture versus nature. Mm -hmm. So if you have more of an anxious attachment, it means that you have this sort of like, you're in this hyperactivated state where you really need people to stay with you. You don't want to lose the connection. You don't want to feel rejected or abandoned. That fear is so heightened that you do everything you can in a relationship to maintain it. You might not even like that person, Mm. but you will do whatever you, you will put them first so that you don't have to feel rejected or unworthy at the end of it all, right? Now, if you're someone with a more dismissive avoidance style, what happens here is that from the outside, it looks like you don't really have a lot of emotional range. You don't really get upset. You're not really making a fuss about anything. You're cool, calm, collected. But at the same time, when it does come time to start revealing more about yourself or talking through a conflict, you just distance yourself. Mm -hmm. You walk away. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of person that says things like, why do you always bring this up? We already talked about it. Or you know what? I need need some space. I got to go. Right? And then we have the fearful avoidant type, which is the mix of the two, which is probably the most confusing type. They have clashing fears. (laughs) So they have, yeah. I mean, those fears have to do with, first of all, wanting closeness. But once you get there or you get closer to having an emotional connection with someone, you immediately start feeling anxious and you want to walk away or take a few steps back. The moment they're gone, you start missing them again. So you go back to connecting, right? And it's back and forth like that. I think I've heard a really good analogy where it's like you have your foot on the gas pedal and foot on the brake and you're just Mm. constantly going between the two. Yeah. Cause I, cause I think I, my natural baseline like you is anxiously attached, but then I had this one ex, um, well, I've had a few awful experiences. I just did a live tour called the trauma dump tour where I was two to three hours of me talking about all my awful dating experiences. So like there've been a few bad ones, um, but all (laughs) of them, all of them made me more and more anxious because they were all dismissive avoidant and they would, yeah, just kind of shut down when things, anything remotely negative be, be brought up. And then from that, though, I had no certainty in when things would end because I'd be broken up with randomly, like so randomly, like everything would be fine. And then one day it would be, I can't do this anymore. Or I'd bring something up one day and it would be a fine conversation that was really productive and it was great but I bring the same thing up on the wrong day, like the next Tuesday. And it would be like, well, this obviously isn't working for you. I'm not making you happy. Shut down. Goodbye. I'm, I'm gone. Then I had a relationship where they lived with me and they were like, a, they were a good partner, but I felt really, really smothered and really like I'd never had that kind of like, I mean, level of security, but also I felt really depended on. Mm. And I, I, and I, it made me then um, become <laughs> fearful. And I was thinking about it yesterday because currently I am monogamous and it's going well. And it's been a big gear change for me being monogamous now because this person gives me everything that I want or need. And I feel very safe for the first time, I think ever in my adult, actually ever in my life in a relationship. And I feel like very consistent and it feels great, but it is a huge adjustment to me to not be doing those behaviors that kind of, I said in a previous episode, kind of like create a quilt of a relationship, but they kind of patchworked all together. 
So I don't know what that question is. That was more just me I, venting at Seville. Can I actually give you like an even fuller picture without revealing too much information? But I feel like with Abby, she's always struggled with, like she wants safety, but she wants the excitement and adventure. Mm. And I think that person brings, if, correct me if I'm wrong, mm. brings that like safety, but there's still that element of adventure that's going on. And that's, I think, why it's a, such a hard thing to find, I think, mm. that why you would be willing to go like, okay, if that's what you want, then I'll be willing to meet you because I have these two things that I'm looking for and I finally found them in somebody, right? Like, Yes, yes. Yeah. So, Abby, I think what you are describing is something that everyone wants. It's this idea that this person is understanding their flaws and still bringing them to the table while still being secure enough to show up in ways that you need them to show up in. So an example of this is when we look at the F-boy show, right? We hear this so much. The nice guys are so safe. The bad boys are so fun, right? Or there's so much chemistry there. But ideally, you want someone who has the combination of both. And what that looks like is a nice guy sometimes saying the wrong thing or a nice guy being sometimes kind of selfish Mm. or the F-boy kind of, you know, putting you first, right? Like, and so when we had come from an insecure place, we usually go from one extreme to another because we're working off of our insecurities rather than embracing all the parts of us that make us messed up, right? Like yeah. messed up and flawed people. So I think what you're hitting on is, is something really important is that we want to find people that are honest with us so we can be honest with them. And that creates a really beautiful dynamic where you feel safe. Yeah. I mean, let, let's talk about secure attachment for a while because that is what we all are aiming to to, to be or secure with a bit of spice um, and also people that we want to date or that I want to date. And something that I've noticed is that I've, so he has been really good at bringing up things that I do that maybe aren't good and kind of calling me out on my shit. Not like anything too bad, but like, when I'm really hungry or really tired after filming for 14 hours, I may, this is like in theory, I guess in theory, rhetorically, I may maybe not snap at him, but use a tone of voice that is a little bit condescending and a little bit like, (laughs) how can you understand that I filmed for 14 hours today? And how can you understand? And he will be like, hey, you're being condescending. Can we talk about what is actually going on here? Why are you in a bad mood today? Today you're different to how you were yesterday. What's going on? Which has been really, um, and he creates really safe environments for me to speak about my issues and will say things like, we're working through it together and like I'm here for us and then I'm not, you know, I'm here for you but I'm also here for us and we're going to, I want you to feel safe to tell me when you think things aren't right because otherwise we can't but get get, get close and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But then I fear that with my, I feel like I have so much trauma and so much in such deep insecure attachment. I think I do jump between fearful, avoidant and um, anxiously attached. Um, And then sometimes I feel like I'm secure for like three weeks. And then I'm like, oh, no, that was a trick. I get really scared to be in that. Like I'm going to drag him down. Is that possible? Or is it more of a thing where like you can heal through dating someone who is secure? Oh, that's such a good question. Can you earn a secure attachment? Yes. Can you (laughs) earn a secure attachment? Even when you're not in a relationship, if you're just dating or just starting to get to know someone, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. You can actually heal so much 
with one person, with multiple people. It doesn't have to be just someone you're dating. It can be your coworkers. It can be your friends through your family, relationships that you have in your life that allow you to practice things like difficult conversations, expressing your needs, setting boundaries, telling people how you really feel, right? Being honest. So if you have a space to do that with someone who is safe, and it sounds like this person, like you said, calls you out gently, Mm. like is open to hearing what's going on with you, doesn't take your crankiness, for example, so personally or internalizes it. That's where you can really start like relaxing a little bit more. You're not in survival mode as much. And over time, just like a muscle, when you go to the gym, right, it just gets stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. I think there's also kind of a, I know if it's a myth, there's an idea that in order to get into a relationship, you have to be fully healed. And if you aren't secure, then you are just going to cause issues. And I think Dan Savage, my favorite person on the planet, puts it perfectly where he says, you need to be in good working order. Not perfect, but good working order where you aren't like completely in a, in a, I guess, a state of trauma or, you know, where where you're going to cause issues just for the sake of it or really harm someone else. So if you are completely single and completely alone and taking that time to work on yourself, is it possible to, without any external help, become secure or is it all about practice? So because we get injured in relationships, we also need them to heal. It's so easy to just sit at home and be like, you know what I could do more of? I could be more curious. I can be more chill. I can be less defensive. Okay, great. I just figured it out. But it doesn't actually mean anything until you're out there in the real world, scared for your life, but doing that thing anyway. That's how you build that resilience, that emotional resilience that people talk about. It's with other people because in theory, and this is why when we date, we fall in love with what people say. I'm... I'm someone who cares a lot about logic. Yeah, like I, I'm always here to have an honest conversation, right? People say all these things they, they wish to be or hope they are. But when it comes down to it, can you actually sit through a really difficult, uncomfortable conversation with me, right? That is the real test. It's like not just saying or wishing you can, but actually doing it. So it has to be in practice. And even if that practice is casual dating and having honest conversations with this might be harsh. People you don't really care about. Like, is that, is yeah. that a way? Like people that you just met through, mm-hmm. like, I like you, but like, I'm not too invested here. Should I have an honest conversation? So that is the best time to do it. You said it, I think in a really great way, people you don't really care about. <laughs> yeah, brutal. But essentially it's a, right. But it's a low stakes situation. You yes. do not have a lot to lose and your fear is still going to be there, but it's going to be like, you know, a shadow muted. And that's when you need to start thinking of it as practice. It takes the pressure off around, is this person right for me? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to do the wrong thing? If you start seeing it more as we're just practicing things we've never done before, openly communicate how we feel, talk about our vulnerabilities, expose our flaws. Hey, I'm really anxious. And sometimes I need more reassurance and I'm going to ask for it. Right. So things like that. And then you start developing more of that. People talk about this a lot, especially when they have an insecure attachment. I don't know the difference between my gut and my fear. Yes. And so the way that you play with that is you have to put yourself in some form of exposure therapy. I hate kind of that term, but the idea here is like, okay, put yourself in a situation. Hopefully it's low stakes where you're telling someone how you really feel, see how they respond. Think of it as an experiment. 
right? Try to be more of an observer rather than an active participant. And that can create some oh, distance okay. between you and the outcome. So from there, you think, okay, they just said something and it didn't make me feel good. Okay, let me investigate that further. You start training your gut to notice the changes over time so that next time you're in a similar situation, you will much more quickly see the red flags because in the last situation, you investigated enough to understand, okay, I know when I'm wasting my time and I know when someone's actually being for real. Right. Can you, for the listeners, could you give an example of, let's say someone who's normally anxiously attached or maybe something you've gone through yourself as a former anxiously attached person of an example where a tough conversation had to be had and how that played out? So there's a few ways to think about it. Like sometimes the difficult conversation is I feel disconnected from you and we've been talking for a few days. We saw each other last week, but when's the second date? When's the third date? And instead of me just saying, Hey, when's the second date? I would send like a fun list of emojis. I would just send them random emojis and be like, okay, I made up a story. And if you can tell me what the story is about, like you win a prize. Right. And so it's a level of vulnerability but it's still playful, creative, invite, invites them in, right? right? Okay. So that's an example of being in a situation where your anxiety is really high. I don't know if this person likes me. I don't know if I'm going to see them again. But instead, you you sort of show up in a way that feels vulnerable, but also really interesting. Now, another example of a difficult conversation that you might have in a relationship, and I think a lot of anxious people will, will relate to this, is you're going over what is it that you both want in a relationship, they say, you know, I'm just casually dating. I'm not really looking for anything serious. If something comes up, great. An anxious person's automatic response is going to be like, yeah, me too. Yes. Right? So a difficult conversation that you can start having is, first of all, really investigating what it is that you want in a relationship and expressing it to that person, whether it's the first or second, third date. Hey, I'm looking, not necessarily with you, but just in general, I'm looking for an intimate, close relationship that builds over time, right? So that's an example of having a difficult conversation. And then I think as well, sometimes anxiously attached people can be labeled as crazy or like say if someone isn't applying to their text, they're dating and they're like, you know, texting again and again and again and again and again. That's kind of like the extreme version, right, of being anxiously attached. How can people in that moment, if they are anxiously attached, self-soothe? I mean, I was, I never really did shit like that, but like I would have the thoughts and my quote unquote self-soothing wasn't soothing at all. It was just sitting in bed paralyzed and avoiding everything that I could inside <laughs> yeah. my body to text. But how can you self-soothe when you have that urge to call someone multiple times or text them or you're worried they're cheating on you or, you know, they're out with their friends and they're lying or, you know, something like that. How can you, yeah, how can you take care of yourself? And then after that, how can you communicate that to your partner in a way that is healthy? So I think there's a lot of shame that anxious people feel around this type of behavior where they just feel like they are almost desperate or they're like bombarding someone with texts and calls. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is, if you've done that or you're in the process of doing that, just have a lot of compassion for yourself in that moment. Stop and ask yourself, what is it that you are resisting the most right now? Usually the answer is, feeling abandoned, rejected, dismissed. And so 
I think there's this like misconception because of these terms, anxious and avoidant, that if you're anxious, you're not an avoidant person or you don't have avoidant tendencies. But that's not true. As an anxious person, you are avoiding feeling abandoned. And so when you're in that state, remember, just because you're acting on it doesn't mean that you don't have avoidance yourself that you need to look hard at. And I know a lot of anxious people, they'll blame avoidance for so many things, right? Like neglecting me and not being there for me. But you're not there for yourself. Mm. You're not showing up for you in that moment, in those moments where you are seeking reassurance from someone outside of you. So there's something there to be said about self-trust, right? So when you're in that moment, what is it that you're resisting? Think about that. Write it down in a Mm. journal, right? And remember that there's nothing you can really do in that moment that's going to take away that pain. And I think a lot of times we think, I'm just going to I'm going to go to his house or I'm just going to, you know, meditate or I'm just going to go drink out with my friends. And we so badly want to run away from these feelings, but we need Mm. to learn to sit with that discomfort. That is the biggest lesson. Yeah. I love um, the emotions wheel Mm. Mm because I have a really hard time identifying emotions. Let me, Oscar, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I'm really interested. Is that what it's called? Sorry, let me just get it up. I actually made one that I really love because I, I'm going to send it to you because it's much more colorful. It's modern. I don't like the old. It's just so subdued. Yes, right? yes, it is. But so I have a really hard time because I, I've learned in therapy. I have a really hard time identifying my emotions and also and then vocalizing them as a whole other thing. I have a really, really hard time. And that's obviously part of the anxious thing and trying to people please and, and all of that. But also, can I just say also some, some of it is not learning as well. Like we just had so such poor emotional education mm-hmm. when we were younger. So you probably weren't talked to in detail about like, Abby, how are you feeling today? Can you identify the emotion that you're feeling? Like yes. I'm trying to do this with my kids now. It's like, I, I, that did not happen to me as a child. We, yeah. we were not aware of how to like self-reflect, think about the nuance of emotion. We just used to say good. Yeah, and that good. was it. So yeah. like maybe that's also part of it with True. how you grew up and I grew up, right? Like Yeah, but, our generation didn't have it, yeah, it was just how are you today, darling? Yeah, good. Yeah. yeah that's there's it. No there's no nuance. Reflection. Yeah, exactly. Yes. See, I love the angry section because I, I have had a thing in therapy I've had to really work on is accessing anger because in my in my childhood and, and previous relationships, I just shut down completely or I just try and make the person feel better as so people please. And I never was allowed to feel angry, particularly in romantic relationships. Like I would literally be given chlamydia for three months and I go, why'd you do that? Like that literally would be the, I have never, I'm not, and people think that I am, I'm not a yeller in relationships. So this helps me like when I feel like maybe I'm feeling angry, I even go backwards you know, like I'll be like, okay, well, I'm I'm feeling let down. That mean that means I'm angry. I'm allowed to feel angry for a moment, and then I kind of go back and kind of observe. Like I go back and forth along the wheel because in therapy, like I had to spend a lot of time, and I still do spend a lot of time trying to access anger. It's a really really hard emotion for me. And so, by looking at it on the wheel, does it sort of give you the the journey of emotions that would get you to be to that place and help you resolve it that way? Totally. Is that sort of how it goes? Totally. Yeah. Like I, I would be angry that like I would go out in Brisbane and and some, someone most weekends would tell me my ex cheated on me. 
like most weekends. Oh my god! Um, and and they wouldn't up. know that I was dating him. They'd be like, oh, "I've been fucking so and so," and I'd be like, "Oh, have you?" And I'd ask them like so calmly that I'd have no idea that we were dating. And like, I guess in that moment, I would feel almost humiliated, right? But then that's also, but I would sit in the humiliation rather than allowing yeah, right. myself to explore. If you go out feeling disrespected or going in feeling anger. So I would sit kind of on the on the edges. I would be able to say, oh, I feel so embarrassed. Wow. But really I wouldn't allow the anger to, it to penetrate through to anger to communicate to my partner that I was angry. I just felt embarrassed that I had had that experience and also that I felt hurt and then I'd feel embarrassed to vocalize how I felt. So that's why and the, the wheel helps me. Well, Abby, I'm actually really curious to know, how do you process your anger now? What is a way that you look to to heal your anger or feel with your anger? Well, I'm still really working through it. I recently got a new therapist and we, I basically, it literally is me sitting there and saying, me practicing saying the words, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. I, that made me angry. Like we're, we're at like elementary level. Like we're like, we're, yeah. so I, I, or I, or I talk about it in therapy or I'll speak to, I'll go for a walk with my, my best friends and I, they are also, we have a very similar childhood and a very similar kind of attachment issues. And we're both with quite secure people. So it's quite confusing for us. So we'll, um, <laughs> we'll go for a walk and, and when, and we're really good with each other. They've been an amazing, um, this is Kath Ebbs, anyone listening? They're also an influencer in Australia. They're amazing at when I say things, I'll go, oh, but you know, it's fine. Like I understand why they did it. And they'll be like, no, you're allowed to be angry. Mm. Like just because you understand doesn't mean you aren't allowed to be angry. So what are you angry about? Let's go talk through your anger. So they will, I basically, maybe it's me communicating with friends that I have an issue with this and they then will call me out on when I'm kind of giving someone a pass or focusing on, what I did wrong rather than being allowed to be angry at the person. Cause I think that I also see anger as, as like violence or as abuse. If I feel angry, therefore I'm a bad person. I can totally relate to this. I was always taught that anger is not a good emotion to have mm-hmm. as a child. Mm-hmm. And now I know that it's okay to feel angry, but it's not okay to act with yes. anger. You know yes. what I mean? Like actually hit someone or yell at someone or whatever. That means yes. you need fucking space. Mm. Or you shout in your helmet when you're on your motorcycle on the way to work. Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Or I scream into a pillow. Yeah. Anyway, Sabelle, so let's yeah. go through your emotions wheel because I think this would be a great, I think it's a great tool that people, it's like with attachment styles, people either really know about it or they have no idea. And anyone listening I think could really benefit from this. So we will put the link in the show notes or I'm sure you could find it on Sabelle's um, social media, right? Yeah, perfect. Amazing. Let's go through it. Okay, so as you can see, this is like a little a fun galaxy sort of vibe that we have here. We love. But essentially, yeah. So what you'll notice is that in the middle, you have these generalized or more general emotions: fearful, sad, angry, disgusted, surprised, content, joy, happy. And so when you go more into the outer side of the wheel, or or yeah, to the outside of the wheel, you'll see that these emotions are broken down to be more specific, you'll notice that I've actually even created a distinction between, let's say, the category sad. Mm. There's heavy emotions and there's foggy emotions. Why did I add that piece? So a lot of people who are avoidant have a lot of trouble getting to the core of what they feel, and they do need a step-by-step process, in this case, language, to help them identify in a way that feels safe, slow, 
and not too overwhelming so that they can get to the core eventually, right? So, so for some people, this like middle part of the wheel is going to be a little bit more accessible to them mm. than the most outer side, right? So I feel heavy. I feel rough. Right? And this is something I use with my clients. It's a really great tool to check in with yourself and build that self-trust essentially that you are going to be there for yourself, that you are going to give yourself what you need, that you are going to acknowledge, support, right? Be kind. And that's essentially what this wheel does. Mm-hmm. As an anxiously attached person at their core, my reaction is, wow, I should get this laminated for any future lovers that I have that may be avoidant <laughs> so that I can help them work yeah. through there. Now, is that a bad instinct to have or is or could that be a great communication tool? It's great. And what you said before about your anger and how now you're at this elementary school level and you say things like, I'm angry, I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated. This is a great way to start exploring these really difficult and complex feelings Mm. and expressing them in ways that are just straightforward. Eventually, once you become more comfortable with this whole, I'm angry, I'm dissatisfied kind of language, you can then be a little bit more nuanced in the way that you describe your pain to others. So this is just a step-by-step process. If you want to share this with your loved one, this is a really great way to both be on the same page about how you talk about your emotional wellness together. Can I ask a question? Just hang it up on the... Oh. Oh. Well, I did. I said it first. Mirror. I'm joking. Sorry. No, Oscar, you go. No, I was just, yeah, you could have just hang it up on the revision mirror. Oh, you know, and just oh yeah. Say, totally. Oh, no, just, yeah. No. <laughs> now, I was wondering, Savelle, is emotional validation, so saying to somebody, it's okay, you're allowed to feel the way that you feel, the definition or a, a really good component to a secure attachment? Because I do yeah. feel like not validating someone can actually spike the anxiety can actually spike those types of attachments that aren't, I don't know if healthy is the right word, but aren't very useful, useful. Yeah. Functional. Yeah. Um, Is, is validation part of a secure attachment? Do you think when it comes to emotions? Yeah, absolutely. So there's this concept that if I'm not understood, then there's something really wrong here. And you hear that a lot in relationships. I just feel like they don't listen. I feel like they don't understand me. And that comes from an insecure place. You get really defensive. So how do you actually get to a place where you understand someone? You just have to radically accept their worldview. Mm -hmm. And it sounds easy, but it's basically this idea that I might never experience what you've experienced, but I want to trust that if I had your life experiences, I would also feel the same exact way. I might not fully understand them, but I respect them. I hear you, right? And I don't need to have any stake in it. It's not about me. It's not about what I agree with. It's not about what I think is right or wrong. This is your experience and I just allow it to be. And that can feel so liberating. It's a huge relief. And essentially it's about trust, acceptance, belonging, connectivity, And it can open doors, but there are so many people who are resistant to doing this because there's this idea that there's a right and wrong way to be in a relationship. Mm. So I'd love to be on to avoidance for a while because I think typically, like you said, there's a lot of time spent blaming avoidance from anxiously attached people. And I know that I've spent a lot of time doing it. And I think that 
it's very hard to break out of that. And I think in general, the consensus is particularly online is that avoidance are bad people that haven't worked for themselves. And anyone who's anxious is a result of being with an avoidant when that actually isn't true, right? We're all insecure. So say if anyone's listening that is with an avoidant, what advice would you, would you give to them? It may be being able to understand them more or giving them the space to feel like they can um, open up. Cause I know when I've been with people who are avoidant, I feel that sometimes I've been so impatient and as well, it's my ADHD where I'm like, I can explain to you for four hours in detail what is going on and what you've done wrong. How can you not even give me like a two, like two words in a four hour conversation? And it's me bombarding them. I'm almost bulldozing them. But then when I don't say anything, nothing seems to come up. So how do you find that sweet mm. spot to to get that kind of open communication? Is it just time? So it's what you do in that time. But time is a component. So it's how, how patient are you? Do you have history with this person? And you've just been hitting your head against a wall. And now you just feel like no matter what you say or do, they're still just not giving you enough. Mm. That's one of those situations where you might just want to start over with someone new where you have less history, maybe more patience and more understanding when you come into the relationship. What I say a lot to anxious people about their avoidant partners is that you are the key to their emotional world. It is a foreign place that they have not visited much. It's dark. They don't know where the trails go. They don't speak the language. They don't understand the context. And so they go there with you because you lead them, right? Anxious people are really good at monitoring and identifying what you may be going through. And so they've relied on you. The moment that you ask them to go into their emotional world, it just, it's dark. It's Mm. too scary. They don't want to take a step forward because they haven't done that for the most of their life. And so you're asking them to do something that's like equivalent to jumping out of a plane it really is that scary. Mm. Can you just tell them to go to therapy? When is a good time to actually ask <laughs> your partner? Like, can you please, if you yeah. want to actually invest in this relationship, can you please be able to, I don't know if that's a, a thing, overstepping or, yeah. Yeah, you can ask them that. You can say, look, like the first step here is not what we need to do next. The first step here is, do you want to work on this with me? That's the first question that you really want to ask. Are we on this train or are we getting off? okay, if we're on this train, what's the next destination? Mm. We're going together. We got to agree, right? And so the, then it's, well, maybe we need coaching. Maybe we need therapy. Maybe we need t- some time apart. It can look really different for a lot of different couples. And I think there's so much shame around this idea that you have to separate from people that have caused you pain or betrayed you, or there's just so much black and white thinking, right? Leave him. He's not good for you or leave her. She's not good for you. But we really need to start taking time to understand like, do we want to work on this together or not? Mm. I think it's interesting as well to hear about the avoidance experience. And I guess maybe the same example as before about getting the text, right? Like let's say you are the avoidant person and you're dating someone who is anxious, anxiously attached, and you're getting, you're being bombarded with, and when I say bombarded, I mean like three or four texts in a row when you haven't applied in a couple of hours, right? Or like someone who, who you know experiences anxiety. What is that avoidant person feeling in that moment? Why aren't they just replying? and making it easier for everyone involved. They're feeling a tremendous sense of responsibility to cater to your needs. 
And this is really similar to the way that an anxious person has grown up. They also felt a tremendous responsibility to cater to other people's needs in order to keep the connection. But they coped by making that effort and avoidance coped by taking distance. So when you respond to them and say things like, you know what I really need right now? What they're hearing is there's these high expectations. And if you don't meet them, there's something wrong with you. Mm. And so instead of going on that journey and maybe making a few mistakes or trying and failing, they just, they want out because again, it's like jumping out of a plane. They don't have access to their emotional world the way that you do. And so they just will walk away. So sort of thing I've noticed with avoidance is that, and I've gotten much better at this, is recognizing that the more you push someone the more avoidant they will they will get like so if you are like I knew that if he didn't talk to me like and when I say he wouldn't reply to me I mean like when my grandma died he ghosted me like we're not talking about like oh he didn't reply to my text one night out it was like my grandma died he ghosted me for three months and in those three months texted him five times anyway what I've learned is that like the more that I pressure them or not even pressure them, the more that I bring it up or the more that I try to say that even me saying I'm here for you, however you're feeling, the further away they go. It's almost like when you've left um, so like a, a bit of rotten fruit in the fridge and you're like, oh my God, like I know there's a rotting um, mango in the in that crisper, <laughs> but I'm not going to touch right now because it's a bit gross. And then the more, and then, and then, and then you remind yourself a few days later, you go, fuck, that mango is still there. And I know it's worse. Like, like they know you're getting angrier the less you talk to them. Yeah. And then after weeks they go, oh fuck, that mango disintegrated it is it is yeah. csi miami in there like and you and but and then they're forced to go well i have to fucking apply now because you are now going to leave me right that's kind yeah. of how i think wow. about it that is the like, best yes. analogy they know oh, yes, something so good. off and they're like well i don't touch it right now but i know i feel you're mad at me even if even if the first text saying hey are you having a fun night or whatever <laughs> isn't anger at all they know from past behavior that if they don't reply to that one text, it will then be anger. So they're kind of fulfilling their own prophecies where it's like, totally. I, I don't reply to one text and you get angry. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. You didn't reply to one text and then another text and then the next morning and then three days later or you miss my birthday or, you know, something like that. And then I'm angry. But you in your head, your only experience is I fuck up a little bit and then I get the full force of your reaction. Yeah. So how do we bridge that gap? So I think it's important to understand that avoidant and anxious people have so much more in common than they think they do. Essentially, your your thing is avoiding conflict, both Mm. on the anxious side and the avoidant side. So when an avoidant person is faced with your anger, your frustration is directed at them. They're like, oh my God, this is going to escalate. I can't be here for this. I am deeply uncomfortable. I can't manage this conflict. An anxious person will do everything they can. They'll try to be perfect. They'll think about every scenario. And this is like the worst torture. Every scenario that could possibly happen, what they should do in each one so that the outcome is always perfect Mm -hmm. or no conflict, right? And so... An anxious person gets to this point where they've done this for so long, they just burst, right? The conflict just comes up anyway because they've been repressing so much. And then the avoidant person is like, where is this coming from? Mm. I thought we were good, 
Right. And so they're like, there's conflict. I, I, I got to bounce, you know? And so how do we bridge that gap? I think we need to start understanding our mechanisms a little bit more. Remember like this idea that attachment theory is who you are, I think can be really reductive and scary. I think we need to start thinking of it as a framework. This is just a lens Right. And through that lens, you can start understanding your programming a little bit more. So if you're someone who walks away from a fight, for instance, first, you need to acknowledge that that is your thing. Mm. Right. And then you need to start saying, okay, well, what is it that you need? And in this case, for anxious people, it's reassurance that you're going to come back saying you will come back by tomorrow at noon to talk about it and come not only just show up, but come up with like a script of how you feel, what you're thinking and work on it, right? That's what the avoidant needs to start leaning into more. And the anxious person needs to also start leaning into more of their feelings around abandonment. So when this person leaves them saying, it's okay, they said they were going to come back at noon, they're coming back at noon, they haven't given me any reason to think anything else, Mm. whatever happens, I'll be able to handle it, right? In the meantime, I'm going to go watch a movie, hang out with friends, take a bath, right? So that's the work that they both need to do in order to bridge that gap. And I always think, I don't know if this is healthy or not, but I always think as well now, as I've gotten a bit more, I think I've, I, I know, I know that I say that I'm fearful avoidant, but I feel like I'm also getting better. Like I'm betting as a curly attached person. I feel like I'm, I'm much better than I was a few years yeah, ago. Definitely. But, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I think that a big thing for me is when I have those conversations and I say, you know, okay, I'll like, yeah, I'll, I'll see you at noon tomorrow. Or let's, let's, let's park this until, cause I know that nothing good's going to come from this conversation until this time when you're feeling less stressed from work or whatever, whatever excuse it is. I then think in my head, I will deal with my anxious emotions when noon comes around. Is that bad or is that me managing my emotions better? I can't tell if that's me suppressing things or if like I'm, I'm allowed to be upset at noon, but I can't waste my fucking morning being worried about it when it's le- like 1158. <laughs> yeah. That's like, you're just so good at carpentalizing, you know? know, like that's just you. And honestly, that's not a bad thing. I think we, we say, Oh, you always have to feel your feelings. I mean, listen, sometimes you have a podcast that you have to show up for. Yeah. You can't just be right. So the idea that you need to take breaks is really important. So just think of it as a break, mm. a break and you have a scheduled time and that's when you can cry it out, lash out, whatever. Yeah. Cause the amount of things that have been ruined for me. And I spoke to a friend of mine who's a musician and he was having a hard time with his girlfriend when he was touring and he would call me and be freaking out. Like he's very anxiously attached. And I was like, dude, this fucking sucks because you're on tour. You aren't going to see her for a few weeks. You cannot see her for a few weeks. And you just did, or he did this big show. And I was like, dude, like you've said something really fucking cool and you spent the whole time dreading it before and after and you called me immediately after, like fucking almost crying and because you haven't allowed yourself to compartmentalize stuff. So I don't know if that's healthy or bad, but I found as well, there are so many shows that I watched that I filmed or certain episodes and I've gone, fuck, like that whole day I felt anxious about getting a text back and I was Mm. doing something really fun and cool and that ruined my whole fucking day and my whole mindset. Like I've said before in the podcast, like there are billboards around the city that I'm like, I fucking hate that photo. And it isn't because of the photo, it's because I know that day I was crying about someone not replying to me who I'm not even sure who it was anymore. I'm like, who the fuck was it? So I find pausing my emotions 
helpful, but I don't know if it's healthy. But I guess if you're saying it's healthy, then it's hybiotic of approval <laughs> for a short amount of time. <laughs> Well, you know, I think, like I said, I think taking breaks, especially if you're someone who leans more avoidant, that is important for you in order to eventually be able to access your emotions rather than completely shut down or feel so overwhelmed that you like have an actual like bad breakdown. Mm. So yeah, like you, you're getting to know yourself a little bit more. So as long as you give yourself like, you know, structure and you give yourself like support and compassion, like that, that can't be unhealthy. Absolutely. I was just going to say, because maybe I was, I've been listening like so intently this entire time and I'm trying to work out where I sit. So I'm single. I haven't had a partner really for ages. The times that I have been close, like emotionally close with someone and they haven't reciprocated, that's like, you know, um, rejection sensitivity and it's just, you know, broken me. So I've just avoided it altogether. I have sort of gone on a couple of dates um, that just haven't really you know, what made me want to uh, connect with him further. And I enjoy sex every now and again, just with randoms or whoever that I met with online. And I'm at this situation where I think I'm really happy being single and I get so much fulfillment mm. from my friends and my work or whatever it might be. Uh, but then I think, oh, do I, should I have a partner? And then, yeah. So um, maybe I probably just need to book a one-on-one therapy <laughs> session with this girl. But, um, I think you should. <laughs> I'm a coach. Okay. Just disclaim, yeah. I'm a coach. coach. Yeah. I don't want yeah. yeah. Sorry, coach. <laughs> no, it's um, okay. But is, yeah, you know, in terms of attachment styles, where would I fall? Because it, like, it feels like being happy when you're single. You, you feel like I've had the same, I had a period of time where I'm like, I'm so stoked to be single. And then you feel like, and then you freak out and you're like, whoa, am I avoidant? Mm. Or am I secure and am I genuinely enjoying this? Is that kind of a question? Like how to That's know if you're exactly genuinely enjoying is. it and you're securely attached and you are fine by yourself or is it that yeah. you're avoiding everything? Such a everything? good question, yeah. That, that is so good because it's so nuanced. Whether or not you are single or in a relationship does not define your attachment style. There are people who are in committed relationships who have been together forever and they're both insecurely attached or not even connected in any way, right? So the question isn't, am I single or am I with someone? But the question is like, how do you feel when you are in these kinds of relationships, whether they're casual, whether they're long-term, like, do you feel that you are struggling? Do you feel like you're confused? Do you feel overwhelmed? Like, is there just a lot of discomfort there? Uh, yeah, with these longer-term ones... time and time again in, in my head yeah yeah and so when someone tells you what are you looking for what's your response usually um i think that if i met someone who i really wanted to hang out with that i would be really open to doing that but at the moment i feel like i'm really happy yeah. that's how i answer it and but then there is that as abby was saying a little bit in the back of my mind where i'm like am i just avoiding is this what is this what i'm doing yeah but that's okay. I think sometimes we think that if we're like avoiding a relationship, that somehow that means something bad about us. It could just mean that you are in a time in your life where you're either burnt out or your emotional capacity is going to something else like building a business or, you know, being a dog dad or your friends are going through something really rough. Yeah. Like it could just mean that your emotional capacity right now is just, it's going somewhere else. So in terms of your attachment style, I don't know. I haven't really gotten a lot from you in terms of like what you're like in relationships or what your biggest, well, what's your biggest 
sort of fear in a relationship? Like, what is it that you're always like bracing for or trying to avoid? Oh, that I just really don't want anything to do with them. Like I find sometimes if I mm. um, am with them, if I'm with somebody that I think oh, I might like, and then I'm like, oh, this is just too smothering. And then there are other times where I really like someone. I'm like, are oh, they going to reject me? And when you feel kind of ached out by someone, like what is their vibe? They're just like really. Probably secure. And just yeah, like so- want to, yeah, have a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so you're avoiding securely such people <laughs> at all costs. Yeah. Well, that's so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, so look, uh, we'll have to do a part three. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we actually should get to go back on if you will. Yeah, in a, yeah. And we should get Let's listener get, yeah, questions, listen questions and like and get like listener audio questions if you'd be willing to, Sabelle. We I loved, yeah. loved, loved having you on. Totally. You were so Thank and you. Oscar can be the first one. You can do some investigation. Yes. After he's booked yes. his first session with you, coaching <laughs> session with you. Yeah. Yes. That is I'll get that colour wheel out. Yeah. Oscar, yeah, I, I'll get the colour wheel I out. I felt the same way, and it's very it's very confusing. But Sabelle, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed this, even more than I thought I would have even already been a huge fan of yours. You can check out Sabelle on TikTok, Sabelle, C-Y-B-E-L-E dot P-O-V on TikTok. We'll tag in show notes, we'll tag on everything, you know what we do. Anything else you want to plug, Sabelle? Yes. Okay. So you can book a session with me as an individual or as a couple, if you'd like to understand your attachment style a little bit better and work towards earning a secure attachment. I also have some PDF booklets. If you just want to start this journey on your own and you're not really ready to dive right in with me. We'll put Sabelle's link to in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Listener Production.